Hello, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self sufficiency. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Self Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today, I have with me returning guest Julie Ellaby from Elegant Sufficiency. Hi, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you so much. How are you? Yeah, great, great. And thank you for coming back on the show. It's been over a year now since we first recorded, I'm assuming. I haven't checked, but you were one of my very, very first guests. And you've you've gone on to become a patron and a massive supporter of the show, for which I'm eternally grateful. So thank you. No, thank you for having me back. Um, and yeah, it was um, just kind of um, sensible, I think, really, to... <laughs> Uh, to kind of progress <laughs> to becoming a patron it just seemed like a logical thing oh, to me so yeah because I mean you. I think everything that you do with um the podcast and with YouTube is a, a brilliant resource for the whole community so yeah very happy to support it oh bless you thank you Julie um so why don't you get us all caught up and uh you know last time you were on we were speaking mainly about wax wraps and sort of how to make them but I mm-hmm. think you've been on quite the journey and uh i mean not just you there there are lots of listeners out there that kind of through various different ways whether it's via email or through the facebook group but or you know however it might be i see lots of little updates and i see people's journey and just a beautiful thing and i love seeing it and um obviously i know for a fact from some of the things you've been sharing that you've been on quite the journey over the last year or more and um you've added well a ridiculous (laughs) and you know how do you how do you look back over the last year 18 months or you know you you can define the time frame but how do you look back over that and you know look at where you've where you've come and where you've come from and what you've achieved um I'm mostly I'd say I'm feeling really satisfied so I think I've gone quite far down the rabbit hole (laughs) with (laughs) self-sufficiency um that that, that was always the intention though it was always part of the plan so it's I don't think it's a case of I sort of got into something and ran away with it it was always the intention to um to not to take it as far as we have but to keep progressing beyond where we are now um and from the beginning we did recognize that it was a journey and it's not something that you can just you know unless you have infinite time and infinite money which nobody does um it's something that you just have to slowly build up with um and our approach has really been to um kind of focus on a couple of projects at once and really get our heads into them and and kind of you know learn as much as we can about it and that hands-on practical experience and then once we feel we are comfortable and confident with it then we go what's next and we kind of push on to the next kind of couple of things um i think it's, it's that kind of spinning plates analogy isn't it where once you get a couple of things spinning and they're they're fine then you can start adding to it can't you so um yeah so yes, where what have we done in the last year? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a, it's been a year, hasn't it? Um, yeah, it has. Yeah, I should, prob- I, I, I should probably just say for, for our listeners, um, Julie and I, we've got no plans. We've had no conversation prior no. to this uh, <laughs> beyond the fact we were just going to have a chat. So, uh, you know, you, you, if, if people are wondering, you know, Julie is properly put on the spot here. We she's had no, no pre <laughs> pre warnings of my questions. 
I will I will probably jump around and Great. flip. And if, if you want to rein me back in again, then that's cool. Um, Let's just so, see where we go. So some context for people. Um, I live in a 1940s ex-council house. Um, so it's got a quite a large garden for the area. A lot of people don't have very big gardens where I live. Um, yeah. We seem to get an extra bit of land. I don't know how, but we're telling no one. Um, like, like a driveway's <laughs> width, you know, um, yeah. but that makes it makes a big difference for where we are. Um, I worked out on Google Earth that we have about a tenth of an acre, including the house. <laughs> Yeah. So we're not going to call it acreage. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Huge. <laughs> but, no, no. But that's, but it's, that's, fun, it, but that's great, though. And, 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 and it's great that people like you can share mm-hmm. your story as well, because, you know, obviously where, where I am, I'm very, very lucky. And I, I, but I, I'm very keen that people who don't have the, the, the huge space that I have don't get put off by that. So, no, yeah, absolutely. No, no, you're, you're quite right. So we um, have a very ordinary garden and our um, mission is to turn it into a suburban homestead. Um, so that's kind of the goal with it. Um, yeah. And that's born out of lots of things, um, partly to do with a zero waste journey that we went on. And uh, we took that as far as we felt that we could realistically. Um, yeah. And then the big stumbling block for us was um, plastic um, packaging from food and my response to that was well I'll just grow it myself yeah. so that that's kind of what took us down that self-sufficient path in the first place but since we began it we've sort of um, seen how much it's a really multi-solving <laughs> approach really to so many of the issues that we have in the world at the moment um, so it's it's yeah it's been absolutely brilliant for us um, so where have we been so we my husband and I, Justin, we both work full time. We have two young children, uh, one in early primary school and one um, in preschool, about to go into primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really busy, uh, like most households are. Um, so we don't have a lot of time, but we do try to put in quite a few hours kind of each weekend and little bits and evenings to working on um, the garden and, and um, the homestead side of things. So we have... Um, chickens um i think i last spoke to you i think we had eight chickens didn't we something um, like that i knew you had at least yeah one silky that doesn't doesn't count towards the numbers silkies don't count we have two silkies they don't really count <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so yeah so we we had <clears throat> a mixed block of eight so i'm just getting over a cold so i'm a bit bit croaky still um and now we have 11 so that's news for this year so um we lost two separately for different reasons at different points yeah. and we felt we felt that just wasn't um yeah the numbers went right so we've, we've no wait, my maths are so wrong on this so we bumped it up so no, we're chicken down, maths we're, is, very, is notoriously chick, difficult it, it's it jumps around doesn't it so <laughs> yeah. anyway so we we dropped down to seven and then we got four more um and we're in the slow process of integrating those together we're not in a rush we're kind of gradually getting them to to be a cohesive block yeah because um, they are quite young the ones that we took on but they're really beautiful um so that's the chicken side of things and they are um for eggs um and they all have names and they're all different looking and have different colors of eggs um and then we've got the quail the quail is probably the thing that we have progressed with the most over the course of the year um so we keep um, golden jumbo caternix quail. And over the course of this year, we have built up our breeding group. So we've got um, two groups of um, five hens and one um, male um, in each group. And mm-hmm. then we've got a grout hen and they're just coming of age. So we're going to take out the males from there um, and that will leave us six um, 
which will begin to lay soon as well. So we have an, a massive abundance of um, quail eggs at the moment. Um, the males put a surplus off of a table. Um, so that's a big change this year is that we've started to um, harvest um, our own raised meat, which is a really big yeah. step. Um, I've been doing that myself um, and I'm quite comfortable with it, actually. That's yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, I think once, once you get your head around it and you've kind of made your peace with your reasons why <laughs> and all the rest of it, when you do it, you just do it. You just have to be quite decisive about it, I think. And that's kind of been my approach. So that, that's been a big progression this year. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I can do that because it's something that always bothered me about being an omnivore um, is you know, that, that thing of, oh, but if you had to do it yourself, you, you wouldn't. And I'm like, well, actually, I can and I do. Um, yeah. And that, that makes me feel a lot more confident about um, my position with my diet. Um, but also knowing that the food that I'm eating predominantly is coming from, um, you know, ethical sources, sources that I can control, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's, that, for me, is a really, really important thing. Um, and, the, and, yeah, the, the quail was still growing. I've actually got three hatched so far out of um, a batch and incubator at the moment today. Um, and that is going to be creating two new breeding groups of celadon quail, which are the blue egg layers. Yeah. Um, so we, we said, we decided, <laughs> I'm sure you know what this is like. We were like, okay, we're going to stop with the quail this year. We've got our breeding <laughs> groups. We're comfortable. We know what we're doing. And because we we're comfortable and we knew what we we're doing, we went, okay, let's just add another plate and get that one spinning. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we thought, well, we're happy with that, with a jumbo Caternix, but I really wanted to get into the, the blue egg layers. Um, so that's why we're now um, hatching the celadon quail. Um, and they're predominantly going to be for laying and for selling on our egg store. Um, and because we are slightly smaller than the jumbos, but actually the surplus will also be for the table because, um, yeah, you just have to be responsible with it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's a new development. And adding to that, actually, is, is the egg stall itself. So that is a new thing. Um, it looks where... beautiful, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I put so much thought into it in a ridiculous way. You know, when you overthink something. I do. Um, because I was thinking about, does it go street side? Does it go in the garden? What does that do with our relationship with our neighbours? What if people steal from it? What if nobody buys from us at all? We end up looking humiliated in front of our neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> like re really ridiculous, really silly, um, overthinking. And in the end, I was like, draw a line and just do it. Just do it and see what happens. Because yeah, yeah. And, until you try something, um, you yeah, you can worry about everything, can't you? And actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just been brilliant. It's worked really, really well. Um, so we have the stall in our front garden, um, which is quite a big garden because it's corner plot. And we have a really large hedge, which gives us lots of privacy. So we treat the front a lot like a back anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's near the kitchen door. So I think all of that combined has protected us from people being dishonest um, yeah. or vandalizing and things like that. And that, that was one of my biggest worries, to be honest. Um, so, so yeah, so everybody has been really honest. We've mostly been promoting it through social media um, and word of mouth. And, um, and we've got a really nice little community now. I've got people who will message me in the week, um, kind of asking, have we got any? And, you know, I'll, I'll put a reserve note on for them. And others who will just turn up. And, and everyone chats. It's lovely. You get a lovely conversation every time oh, someone fantastic. comes yeah. by. So, so that, that's been 
really really nice and has made me feel um I don't know it's, it's kind of changed my my understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing it because I think initially we're doing it really for ourselves um but actually the people who are coming to our door and, and buying the eggs from us um they are getting as much value from this experience as we are they are as grateful for it and um so appreciative of of that fresh produce and where it's come from and, and the ideology behind it all and I think I was a bit naive and maybe a bit inward focused um at the start and didn't realize that actually there's a huge benefit for people who aren't growing or raising their own but want to support those who do um yes. and that that gives you warm warm fuzzies it's brilliant so yeah, absolutely <laughs> Yeah, so that, that's been fantastic. And then we started doing um, some more seasonal things on the store is what I want to get into um, because I want the store to hopefully fund some of the homesteading activities. So selling the eggs will pay for the chickens and quail. Um, we sold some of our surplus um, plants and seedlings earlier in the spring and that went quite well. It doesn't quite cover the cost of compost. No. no. <laughs> but... <laughs> or even close um but that that was a really nice thing to do as well because um you know you've got surplus you can't always find homes for more we um had ridiculously successful germination rates this year um and i'm i'm really bad at, at thinning down on my seedlings so being able to sell them to people locally was a really nice answer to that problem yeah so i think i've just kind of talked at you there for well, no, <laughs> a that, while that, that's um, right here. don't worry i was just, <laughs> just going to say another another huge benefit of selling seedlings I, i'm not sure what your community you know what sort of community you live in but um mm -hmm. by the sounds of it you know it's a good way of actually making some connections as well because the people who are buying those seedlings of course they're going to be putting them in the garden and one of the things that i have a sort of deficit of and i mentioned this in a recent episode is you know, other people that do anything mm -hmm. similar to what I'm doing to kind of network with. And uh, I, th I think, you know, selling seedlings is a great way of sort of starting the the seeds, if you, you know, for want of a better metaphor, of, of forming those networks. So, um, you know, I, I can just imagine your the, the front of your house is this little, you know, village hub for uh, <laughs> like-minded individuals. A village hub in Uphill Lincoln. It's kind of nice. <laughs> it, we're, we're a small city, but yeah, you can get these kind of village-like communities, which is lovely. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I and mean, I've um, I've definitely started to form connections through the store and other kind of homesteading avenues as well. So, um, so yes, yeah, so for example, um, Lincolnshire Willow, who, um, well, she weaves willow and um, is commissioned for beautiful sculptures. And I, um, my basket that I use for harvesting in the garden I made at one of her workshops last year um, I popped out um, with some plants I did a plant exchange with her um, a few weeks ago um, her hospitality was insanely just oh absolutely amazing she showed us round she showed the girls all of um, her animals and um, you know we sat and had a, a cup of tea afterwards it was just the most beautiful beautiful day it was absolutely wonderful um and all because we were exchanging plants you know yeah um, yeah for sure and then with that comes an exchange of ideas as well so you're looking at how other people grow things and um i think that's just you can't put a price on that sort of thing can you really it's, no. it's really really incredible yeah, um, yeah and then the other arm to that i'd say is um in my kind of seeking for 
um, ethical meat sources that I can't raise myself. I've kind of become connected to more people um, in different communities, but I would have no connection with otherwise um, through a, um, a group called Giving Up the Game. Um, oh, yeah. Which no, is, I've come yeah. across that group. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so before we started keeping quail, we got pheasant from somebody quite local, um, kind of you know, the next town up. Um, Lincolnshire is incredibly rural and vast. Um, and so we got pheasants from him for free. And that gave me my first experience of learning how to process a bird and plucking yeah. feathers and using you know, like for crafts for feathers and things as well. And then this year, I sort of upped the game a little bit on that one um, and sourced um, my first ever deer, um, which was um, kind of in, in the skin and yeah. brought that home. Um, was, it, uh, was it eviscerated? Please explain eviscerated to me. <laughs> uh, well, um, I, I'll, tr I'll try my best, although my explanation might not be strictly accurate. So if, if someone okay. knows any different, let me know. But my understanding of eviscerated is basically gutted, you know, having the oh, offal okay. removed. And I think you would include the head there, although I may be wrong. So he had very kindly, I think it's partly because I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he um, had gutted it and it had its head removed so I yeah. basically had kind of like the carcass but with the skin on Perfect. um and oh, what was the type it was non-indigenous the small one is it um Muntjac? Muntjac, yes Muntjac. so they are apparently notoriously difficult to skin so as a first ever experience um that was actually kind of brilliant because you it's I think it's better to start with something that's quite challenging yeah. because anything after that is going to be a little bit easier. So I was quite happy with that. Um, I also knew that it meant that if I didn't do a super job, it wasn't entirely my fault. You can be a bit forgiving <laughs> on yourself, a bit gentle yeah, on yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because you know that you're, you're kind of you know, doing something that's a little bit more advanced. Um, and I actually think I did quite a good job with it. And then I butchered it myself afterwards. And I was, you know, you know pausing youtube constantly throughout kind of step by step everything that i was doing yeah um so so yeah that's another connection that i've made um oh, well done julie i'm so proud so... of you honestly <laughs> thank fantastic. you yeah, fantastic. It's, it's one of those things where some people will be impressed and go that's a fantastic achievement and others will be going why did why would you do that <laughs> yeah well, I mean, I just I know how proud of myself I was when I when I posted mm -hmm. my first pig. And, you know, I know it's it's such a, a big thing. It's not a small thing. And moving from poultry to mammals is a huge step. It's, it's quite a transition, isn't it? It's kind yeah. of it, it's not the same at all, I don't think. Um, no, especially larger mammals. Mm. I mean, with, with you, with, with your pig, though, that was a huge experience, wasn't it? Because, yeah, it was. you know, that was something that you'd raised yourself and they're really big animals and you had to do the whole from start to finish. Um, you know, that that's the sort of thing that changes you a little bit, I think. Not in a serial killer kind of way. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't actually murdered anyone uh, before or no. since. So no, it didn't. It didn't change me in that kind no. of way. <laughs> but in, in a in a self sufficiency way, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a massive step, a massive 
step for me mm-hmm. um sort of the person i was before and after like you say in terms of my um comfort and ability around yeah. a lot of things i was two completely different people you know the person who had never done anything like that and the person who was very comfortable looking at that project and going yep yeah, i can do that it was you know two different people and um yeah and and again and i've i've recently recorded a video on the 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 pig i've done most recently and i've gone from and that'll be going up soon on youtube um but basically I've gone from that first pig. I've only done three in my life, but the first one was a three day process. And mm-hmm. now this last one, you know, I go from gunshot to fridge within two hours and then another two hours processing those, those really large pieces from the fridge. So, yeah. you know, the whole thing's in half a day and that's solo and just, but, but you only learn these things by doing, you know, mm-hmm. you've got to get up there and, and, and have a go. And I know it's not for everyone, but uh, yeah. So I'm, um, um, how did you find it? You know, the, how long did it take you, the whole deer? I did not time myself, and I think that's probably a good thing. But was um, it a day or longer? No, 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 it wasn't. It was just an evening. See, oh, the trouble wow. is, I, I do these things because they're quite small. It's surprising. Um, but okay. I, I, I have a bad habit of, of doing things in the evening when I should be doing, like, the bedtime routine and stuff with my kids. Um <laughs> And then that sort of puts a bit of pressure on you to kind of get it done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so no, so it wasn't, it didn't take a super amount of time. Um, but I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't rushing it. But yeah, it, it took me, it, I don't know, I'm going to say a couple of hours. It wasn't, um, I think I'd be much faster second time round because I know what I'm doing. I'd also get a better knife for um, skinning as well. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, huge, I didn't, I didn't have a difference. proper one for that. I was no. very much winging it with what I had. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was that was my experience as well with my first pig. I was using the, the knives we had in the kitchen. Now I have, you know, it's not a particularly fancy knife, but it is the right knife, and it's nice and sharp. And yeah, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, this is it. It was um, I could do it, but by the end, I was like, my knife is going blunt. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. So yeah, it, it does, I think it does make a difference. Have the right tools, not expensive tools, but just no. like you say, the right thing for the job. <laughs> So going, taking a, a few steps back then, I want to go back sure. to quail. Let's go back to quail if we could. I told so, you I'd flit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I don't mind that at all. <laughs> There's no plan here. But uh, so talking about the quail, you mentioned um, two different breeds. And mm-hmm. um, I can't remember what they were, but you've basically got a, a jumbo something and a blue egg layer. That's in in my head. That's what you've got. And um, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Yep. And, and the blue egg layers are a smaller breed. And I'm going to assume slightly more prolific egg layers is um is that right or just the color that you were actually after? no no so okay. um so they are all coternix quail so okay. broadly broadly speaking they are the same um but you, you there are so many variants in coternix quail um that breeders have been able to selectively breed to get the characteristics that they want so um the golden jumbos they just happen to have kind of golden feathering um and they've been selectively bred to um be a bigger size bird so that over time they are all consistently larger yeah. um so that just gives you a meteor bird for the table they actually lay really really well um they lay like daily um and the eggs are a really nice size as well because like on the larger size of a quail egg which is still tiny yeah. um and then with the celadon quail so they're also coternics um but they have been selectively bred specifically for this blue egg laying gene. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't get that unless it's got the genetics in it already. That's the only way to kind of to bring that out. Um, yeah. And it's recessive. So you do need to have 
um, two copies two of, of it to yeah. So yeah. Um, so they are more of a standard size, and their <clears> feather <throat> coloring can be anything because they've not been bred for the feathers or the weight or anything. Just focusing on that egg color, um, you can get a right pick and mix variety um, from your hatch. Um, so it's it's very different to the jumbos. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about that when it comes to processing them for the table because they'll be more identifiable. Whereas with the jumbos, they all sort of sure. look the same. Sure. Um, but I, again, because I've done it, <clears> I know <throat> I can do it. So I'm, I'm not I'm not going to waste my time worrying on that one. Too yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it, will, it will come and it will pass. And yeah, because be because you is. have to because you, it's it's just part of what you need to do to make way for the next next growers, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so t- talking about the size of the quail, the, the mm-hmm. jumbos, the jumbos that are you know meat birds. How so? Because we've kept a few quail as pets in the past, a long time ago, um, but we've never ever processed one. And you know, the quail we had were were properly tiny. So I'm trying to just um, get an idea of, you know, how far that meat goes. You know, is it a quail per person with a meal or how how does that look on a plate? It is. Yeah. So um, when I was first looking into it, I was trying to work out portion sizes. People on the Internet broadly were kind of saying, oh, it's two quail per person. Um, And I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's one per person. And that's partly because they're jumbos, but partly because the meat is incredibly um, sort of dense. Um, So actually you don't need a huge portion in terms of volume to get that protein and to feel full. Um, So we've had them barbecued, which is amazing. Um, And we've had them um, in a pie and in a casserole. So there's... You know, so sometimes you're not really portion controlling, depending yeah, yeah. on how you're cooking it. Um, but with the barbecue we did, and um, yeah, I'd say one one is absolutely ample, to be honest. So I just want to take a moment and say thank you. Thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate every single one of you who downloads and listens to the show. There's lots of ways that you can help the show grow and support it. And probably one of the best ones is just to share it with someone. Find someone who you think might be interested in this content and say, listen, here's a show that I like. I think you might like it too and point them in our direction. We would be forever grateful. If you want to go a step further, you could also become a patron. You can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub and set up to donate a small monthly amount. If you think this podcast is worth the price of a cup of coffee a month, then you can set it at that amount. And obviously, anyone who chooses to do that, we are eternally grateful to. love using meat in casseroles and pies and things like that because you can really stretch it i think you know i I can make meat go a ridiculous distance compared to the average household you know we we would get the we would take the amount of chicken that would traditionally feed maybe four adults and we'll get maybe eight to twelve meals out of that you know just by using it you know mixing it using basically using a sauce in a in a pie or a casserole and, and using things like beans to bulk it out as well i think Absolutely. you can really make that meat go twice twice as far if not further i'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that 
and then using the bones and, and everything else to make stock as well so you get as much out of it as possible i yeah. do think raising your own gives you more of an appreciation and makes you want to get the best out of it too um it's yeah it's i agree well i was gonna say i agree but for two different reasons one is out of an appreciation of the animal Mm -hmm. and a sort of a respect of the animal and and wanting each you know life to basically go as far as possible and the other one is just an appreciation of the amount of effort that goes into creating it as well you know a respect for yourself and for your time and effort and not wanting all of that effort to represent just one meal when it can represent three i think that the two go hand in hand that's a very fair point i hadn't thought of it from that point of view actually but you're absolutely right that's definitely in there isn't it yeah uh, you know it's the same with vegetables or anything you know when, when you've done it yourself you realize that 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 thing that you would have spent 80 pence on in the supermarket actually re- represents a lot more than 80 pence to you because it means you know, so much the, more. Exactly. It's, yeah. It's like when we were, we were potting peas earlier this week, uh, the girls and I, and, <laughs> um, and it was so exciting. I mean, I, you know, you, you buy a, a plastic wrap bag of peas from the freezer section in the supermarket and you just don't even think about it and you get peas in the bottom of the freezer because that's just what happens. Um, but when you're when you're growing them yourself, and uh, I mean this year we've grown a heritage variety from real seeds, um, yep. and it's a li- it's a Lincolnshire variety because it would be really unpatriotic not to. Yeah. Um, so, no, so I'm like, really, all for, for seed yeah. sovereignty. This is it. So it's really local, and we feel like we're part of um, that local history, and also part of that. Um, kind of bringing it back from the brink as well it's we're part of a story I guess with sowing those peas Um, and now that we're podding them and Felicity was there eating them fresh out the pod yeah um Serafina not so keen um (laughs) my my (laughs) son my son will eat eat every Uh single one I grow if I let him yeah oh really (laughs) yeah straight off the straight off the plant that's that's felicity but with seraphina she she said I like them cooked mummy I was like okay we'll just keep on podding them for me (laughs) yeah yeah um but it's like you say you don't want to waste that and you you do just really appreciate it so much more and you're, you're there podding them thinking about all the different ways that you're going to use them what recipes could we come up with yeah. for these and you're using you're, you're actually making that produce the centerpiece of a meal but you would never plan that way normally you would never say no. what what shall we cook so we can make use of these peas, you know. That's... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like you know, there's there's no wonder that that such a high percentage of the food that is bought is is goes to waste when when yeah. you buy a huge bag of frozen peas for pennies, you just you just don't think about um, that you know caring about those peas, and and you'll cook twice as many as you think you might need because you'd rather have too many than too few and you don't think twice about half of them going to waste at the end of the meal whereas you would never do that with peas you've shelled yourself not in a million years would you cook double the amount you thought you might need just in case no <laughs> you know, it's, you, it's, it it's a wonderful privilege i think it's, i think it's a privilege to be able to waste food but equally i see it's a privilege to be able to um choose this lifestyle as well and to be kind of growing your own food and and try, like I say stretching it and making the most out of things yeah um two yeah two sides of the same coin I think that one I couldn't agree more yeah no I, I couldn't agree more Julie and uh you know and that goes right across the board doesn't it from you know the meat 
to the peas mm-hmm. to, to, to everything else just having this appreciation and you know knowing what goes into a loaf of bread what goes into a pork chop or a you know a, a leg of venison knowing what goes into this this thing on your plate and and not only knowing it but being connected to it it's just I mean you can't see me but I've got a huge grin on my face just talking <laughs> about it you know it's you can always hear your smile though <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> um yeah so uh so with the quail then you are how many how many do you think you're raising in a you know in an average cycle is it you know so many a, a month or you know what's the the sort of uh the, the the chain look like there with regards to breeding okay so it is limited by our capacity to incubate and that's probably a really good thing for me um so- <laughs> Yeah. So we have um, quite a small incubator. It's a Brinsey Mini Advanced 2. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really solid incubator, but it is small. And it comes with like a turning plate for quail, um, which you can fit a dozen eggs onto. So this last hatch, I took that out. I've been manually turning um, because I wanted to double my yeah. odds with the Celadon because building up a breeding group with that kind of like a dozen at a time and it takes you what two and a half weeks um it's basically like a three-week cycle because it takes two and a half weeks to incubate you might have them in the incubator for a couple of extra days um yeah. as like an icu situation as we have done yeah. and that works really well um the new tip i've learned is if you've got chicks that aren't are kind of you know failing to thrive um in the brooder pop them back into the incubator and treat it like an ICU situation they will they'll bounce back so your your incubator for that hatch is in use for three weeks and then they go into a brooder box for three weeks then they're fully feathered there's really fast turnaround on them and then they go into the growers for again probably about three weeks because then at six weeks that's when they begin to reach maturity um kind of very like you know just on the edge of maturity there but six weeks they're becoming mature um so realistically you're looking at and again you're not going to get 100% hatch rate every time so a maximum of 12 eggs 12 quail every three weeks um yeah if you're if you're going full capacity um with the celadon we we i said we doubled our numbers just to try and give ourselves a head start with um getting the breeding group set up because we found this year getting it set up with the jumbos was actually quite slow work to get the um, the quality that we wanted and also the right male-female ratios that we wanted because you, you don't know what you're going to get when they come out. Yeah. Um, the first two hatches we had, far too many males and not enough females. So actually getting to a point where we had the two breeding groups set up as we wanted them took about half a year in in total (laughs) um, and that's just down to having a small incubator if we'd gone for the next size up um then we could have you know tripled our numbers yeah exactly yeah yeah so um so it just depends on your equipment but again you have to think about um, your kind of return on investment. I'm, I'm going into my work mode now. Talk about return on investment. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. No, this, this, yeah, I'm not at work right now. So, but yeah, <laughs> you, you do have to think about return on investment. You do need to think about um, investment of money and investment of time um, for what you're getting back. Yeah. Um, and that's not to put a price on the quail in a monetary sense necessarily, but it's you know it's about it's about know, evaluating. It's about triaging your own um resources as in yeah. time and money you need to triage where you're going to spend your time and money because 
if you know you, you might not be putting a price on the quail necessarily insofar as a financial value but what you are doing you're putting a price on them insofar as the piece of the pie that they're taking up that you can't then allocate to do with other things or do Something other things else. With. exactly yeah yeah, yeah no, that's, that's spot on so so for us going in at the kind of the smaller end of the scale made the most sense i think that was a, a really smart move um but but yeah, I mean, you're right, because if you think about it, there's so many other aspects to what we're doing here. And we, we are doing it in our spare time, which is incredibly precious. Um, yes. So you do kind of want to get certain projects to a point where they start to kind of look after themselves and they're not, not very labor intensive. Um, we, and we don't want to be hatching all the time. I don't want to have a permanent whir in the corner of my dining room. Um, <laughs> no. So, so yeah, so I think this year it's been quite intense getting it done, but I think we'll probably hatch less frequently in future once we're set up. Um, yeah. rely, rely on the egg sales to fund all of the poultry um, and, yeah, and be breeding for the table, but not at an intensive rate and everything yeah, yeah. to feel quite, quite relaxed, I think, is the idea. Um, yeah. But we're, all, we're also working on reducing our meats in our diet anyway um not in not in any sort of bid to head towards a plant-based diet that um doesn't work with my own philosophy um but just because i think that it's good to have a really good balance so if we can sustain most of that through our own garden um then i think that that would be comfortable for me that's kind of where i want to get to with that one but we're not quite there yet no, well, it's a, it's a it's a journey that that never never finishes, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, don't be too hard on yourself there for sure. Uh, I've got a couple <laughs> of couple of things I want to ask you about the quail still. Uh, a couple more follow up. Sure. So, um, and I'll ask them both together, and you choose how you want to answer them. Um, two completely separate questions. Firstly, um, you using an incubator. I'm just wondering, do quail not sit very readily or very successfully like chickens do? Some chickens. That's my first question. And the second one is with your young children. And how have they taken to the raising and butchering your own meat side of things? Okay, so the first question, really simple answer. They don't tend to go broody. They don't tend to look after their eggs. Um, right. there's, there's two different types of quail. There's new world and old world. Um, and the Caternix quail have had that kind of bred out of them. Understood. So, so it, just, it just isn't something that they do. Um, they're quite vicious little birds as well, to be honest. Like they... <laughs> I mean, we're, I think because we've got our stock densities right, we don't have many issues, but you can have like scalping and, you know, they, they yeah. will, um, you know, I, I don't think I trust them with, with chicks. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I understand <laughs> to be fair, that. Um, you could put them under a broody hen. So yeah. our silkies go broody quite a lot. So that's something that we could do um, is, is if we've got a broody silkies, give them some quail eggs and they would hatch those fine. That wouldn't be a problem. Um so you could get away with not having an incubator if you've got another way of, yeah. of doing it, um, but they won't do it themselves. Um, I think the New World quail do, but they are, I mean, literally worlds apart, they are very, very different um, in their habits. Right. So, but yeah, with, with Caternix, you sort of have to take care of that for them. They, they won't do it. Sure. Um, as for how the children take into things, um, Gradually, I think, is probably the best way of describing it. Gradually. Yeah. So initially, I think they found the thought of eating the birds quite abhorrent yeah. um, in that kind of like Disney, everything is cute sort of way, which I completely yeah. understand. Um, 
And I did think this is going to be a bit of a sticking point. But the way we handled that was just to be quite straightforward and honest and open about it and be quite matter of fact about things and not put any pressure on them one way or another or try to tell them how to think or how to feel about it and just let them um, observe and be interested or not interested um, and get there in their own time, basically. Um, there's still a bit of cognitive dissonance going on where Serafina doesn't want to eat quail, but really wants a happy meal. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. I'm like, so, you know, these chicken nuggets, where, where do they come from? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what conditions have they been farmed in? Uh-huh. Yeah. So are you going to eat this quail? No, right, okay. Yeah. Did, did you enjoy that meal last night? Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I get all that. I get all that. 100%. Um, and this is it. And that's, and that's the other thing as well, is we do go to McDonald's. You know, we're not um, trying to be um, purist in our approach to things. We are sure. quite a typ typical normal family who live a fast-paced life and are very busy. Um, and my kids do like a happy meal. And yeah. although that, that goes against my personal kind of values, um, I also recognise that everything is in balance, you know, um, sure. and everything is in moderation. So, so yeah, so she'll enjoy her chicken nuggets, um, completely ignorant of hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> At four years old, as, as, yeah, as a, as a four-year-old should be, as a four-year-old should be. Yeah, it's only um, it's only when you when you move into adulthood that I think you should really be judged for your hypocrisy. Maybe, and, <laughs> no uh, doubt. It, it, it's certainly it's certainly something. And and uh, it's so funny, Judy. I was having this conversation with my wife just yesterday, in fact, um, and I can't remember what we were we were sort of jokingly bickering about something, and I can't remember what it was. But I did say to her, um, you know, please, if I'm being a hypocrite, please do tell me because while I understand and acknowledge that we're all hypocrites at least a little bit um, it is something I would like to be called on and I think that you know as adults that's something we can really um, you know strive strive to take a bit of responsibility for and maybe trying to align our thoughts our words and our actions I think I suppose that's what it comes down to for me is trying not 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 mm -hmm. being you know not being judgmental about it on either myself or anyone else because we're human but you know I, I want to try and move more and more towards a place where my actions my words and my thoughts and my philosophies are all aligned and you know it's a process see I don't think it is truly hypocritical if you are conscious of that hypocrisy in that like you said if you are trying if you are doing your best but knowing that your best can never be pure mm -hmm. um because otherwise I mean like you know we'd all be living in a cave drinking our own urine and wearing clothes woven from our own body hair because <laughs> we're so desperate to try and, <laughs> yeah. it's quite quite an image yeah. um, but we're, because you're so desperate to try and have a minimal impact on the environment or to yes. um, live self-sufficiently I mean if you were to really take that ideology to the extreme um, it isn't possible to live that way completely. Um, yes. So we all have to find a place on that spectrum that we are comfortable with. And I don't think that's hypocritical if you're doing your best, you know? No, um, well said. So <laughs> no, well, that's me on well my soapbox for a second. There. No, I love it. No, I, I love it. It's, um, you know, they're, they're really, really good words that I'm happy to have heard. So uh, I, I think... Um, Maybe, Julie, would you mind coming back and doing another one of these in a few weeks? Because there's so much still 
to talk about I think and, sure yeah absolutely um, you know I've really enjoyed talking to you and it'd be lovely to um you know we, um, I know I've actually got to go and do some things in the kitchen that's, that I'm in the middle of but uh so I can't go much longer and I've already taken up quite a bit of your time but maybe in a few weeks if you're happy to come back we'll carry on because we haven't even spoken about your cornfield or any of the other things <laughs> yeah. that, that you've been doing out there but uh is there anything else you wanted to add on the subjects that we have been covering that you feel uh important and worth sharing that we haven't touched on and don't feel you um, have to no I do I think just and I hope people get this sense from our conversation anyway but um anybody who's listening and is thinking about kind of delving into this but is feeling that there are barriers because of like we said at the start about um how much space you have how much time you have how much money you have which are all very real considerations mm-hmm. um I would say don't let those present barriers to you and just find a way and go for it anyway um because what we are doing, although from someone on, on the outside looking in, it might seem like um, it's unusual, I suppose, but actually yes. it, isn't. it feels it, it feels incredibly natural and normal. And once you make it part of your life, um, it just, you know, it just becomes part of that flow, I guess, really. Yeah, um, for sure. And gets easier. It gets easier once you've learned how to do each thing as well. And the rewards, the rewards when mm-hmm. you when you sit down to dinner. I'm, I'm going to have a, a so a bit of a. It, it's going to sound like a bit of a brag, and I don't mean it to. <laughs> uh, so we, I, I've I've eaten doing this recording, and it was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. And it was um, it, the first time I've ever had these things at the same time. But I had homemade sourdough with homemade goat's butter and a homegrown salad and homemade ham and homemade goat's cheese. And then I topped it off with um, one of the salt cured egg yolks that I grated over the ham. And it was just (laughs) incredible. And I know that obviously, you know, that's a lot. That's a lot that I've just sort of put on a plate there and not everybody can get there. I get that. But just... I can't put into words the feeling. And I was even, you know, to my wife, who knows all this and is surrounded by, just like I am, I was picking up the plate, going, look, <laughs> look, look at this I'm about to eat. <laughs> Preaching to the choir right there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was just, you know, that you just, you cannot put a price on that feeling before you've but even like taken you said, a you bite. Can, you can get that feeling even just from your own first tomato that you've grown, yes, you know, like that, yes, that sense yes, is yes. still there. And I think that's yes. something that everybody can share. Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent such, uh, you know, important, important messages. And, and, you know, a huge part of what I try to do is make it so that, you know, everyone should feel that it's accessible in, you know, whatever degree it's accessible to you, it's accessible. You know, there's, there's stuff here you can be doing and it's worth it. So Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me hungry. I've already eaten. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Julie, um, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Yep, sure. So um, we are on the internet. We are Elegant Sufficiency UK. Um, You can find us on, um, we have a Facebook page. We have a very active Instagram. We have a YouTube channel, which um, I have actually let slide. I need to pick that back up again. Um, So I'll be posting on there again soon. Um, But yeah, social media, Elegant Sufficiency UK. Awesome. And again, thanks ever so much for your support of this show. And thanks for coming on. And thank you for all that you're doing, Julie. It's appreciated. No worries. So thank you very much for having me as well. If you find this podcast valuable, there's several ways you can support it. The easiest of which is to rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. 
You could also talk about it or share it wherever you post online, including your social media pages. And now you can support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. See you soon.